if we wanted to, fine. We'll, we'll cherry pick the all the homeowners. We'll, we'll do that. But then we do not have the ability to say to ourselves that what we're doing is digital equity. No, what we're doing is we're running a business. Us being a technology social enterprise, we have an enterprise grade product, but the social comes first. The people comes first. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm in Philadelphia today with Joshua Edmonds at the Net Inclusion Conference for National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Welcome back to the show, Joshua. Thank you for having me back, and you are very consistent with your energy in your intros, <laughs> and I appreciate that. You are the head of Digital C. What's your actual title? I'm the chief, chief executive officer. How's that going? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I would say it, it's going well. I, I think that there's obviously a, a jump that you make from going from a municipal director to CEO of a uh, technology social enterprise. And while there's some similarities, uh, there's also some unique challenges. Maybe not challenges, just I would say opportunities. And so those opportunities are just requiring a lot more from me. But in the best ways, because that just means that there's growth and I am growing in this role and growing even in my understanding of what I would argue would be sustainable digital equity. Right. I'm not sure exactly how to target this. So um, if people are a little bit confused about digital C, we'll try to help them along. Yeah. But also, I would recommend some of the past interviews that, that we've talked to to get a sense of your background, where you're coming from. But Digital C, in my mind, I guess I would start off by just saying it is a great solution for the challenge of a city that does not want to do municipal broadband, but recognizes a need for some kind of business model that is focused on the neighborhoods that are usually left behind. That's right. And I would argue, and this is, this is just a slight deviation here, I would say that it's not that they don't want to, they can't. And that's because of those existing state statutes that don't that don't allow Ohio to do that. And so Cleveland, I would argue, maybe, you know, with that money, uh, it was a $20 million contract that Digital C won. I would argue if that didn't exist, Cleveland might have went with a different option. And that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, obviously, I, in Detroit, I was supportive of municipal, and I still am. But, you know, in this case, uh, we are absolutely a 501c3, and the ability for us to be that 501c3 and navigate and be able to receive a $20 million investment from the city to build out a citywide infrastructure. You know, that's uh, obvious. I, I clearly have an incredible team. <laughs> so, and I think there's a there's a sort of chicken or egg issue in that that nonprofit arrangement is amazing. It's very difficult for someone to replicate what you've done, what Digital C has done before you, you got there, because Digital C has an endowment. Yeah. And um, and so that goes back to the previous organization, one community, one Cleveland before that yep. nonprofit connecting all these hospitals and anchors and stuff like that decides to privatize uh, largely, as I understand it, because I think local leaders didn't share in that vision of expanding that to residents. Mm -hmm. And so creates a, a for profit ISP called Everstream. That's right. And when you take a nonprofit pub to a, into a private company for profit, you got to put a bunch of money somewhere. That's right. So they parked it at Digital C. Well, no, we 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 wished. <laughs> it's not, not that easy. <laughs> no, I, I you know I, I think that yeah, Digital C did receive funding out of that, but you know I thought that Digital C had like maybe received like fifty million from that. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't that. Um, but you know I, I think what's even more interesting is Digital C during its infancy. Uh, it's incorporated in 2016 as a nonprofit, and 
we didn't really start building the network until 2018, 2019. I mean, that's when Digital Sea connects its first customer, 2019, right before the pandemic. And so largely a lot of what has happened and the funding that was exhausted, I would say maybe in the past was exploration funding. You know, we'll sponsor a hackathon over here. Mm -hmm. We'll work with the Water Alliance over here to come up with smart water solutions. I think they were just trying to find their footing. And then obviously, if you look at the capital expenditures needed to build a network, even with what Digital Sea had in its reserves, it was not enough to be able to build a, what I would argue was a competitive network. It was enough to showcase a proof of concept. And so, you know, I think that might be maybe a, a little bit of a golden nugget for any of these other communities who are like, man, I would love to start, but I don't have the $20 million contract that Digital Sea just got from the city. Well, it's like we only got the 20 off of the proof of concept that was already built initially, and that did not cost us 20 to build. <laughs> mm -hmm. So let's talk about that then. And, and also we'll talk about the technology some because that's a question I've often got when I've interviewed you before. I don't always want to get too technical because a lot of the audience some of the audience is really into it some of the yeah, audience yeah, isn't, yeah. but like but i want to i want to go a little bit deeper with you on the on the technology um so let's start with uh, the pilot so digital c recognizes that there's a need for going beyond skills training that that you could do skills training and acp until the cows come home that's right and and then you're still not going to actually get where you need you got to make sure that people have a high quality network right i mean i'm yep. i'm i don't know why i'm telling you this because you say it better than i do <laughs> no. but I, i'm prompting you <laughs> to you know give it's a sense of like like you don't you don't fit into that normal divide of like do we do infrastructure or do we do digital equity you you do it mm -hmm. well no that that's absolutely right and i would say that at the onset if we go back to again 2018 when digital c's building this network at that time you know we're not talking about 100 100 symmetrical mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of people have almost like i'm not sure if it's pandemic uh, pandemic bias or something as it relates to the internet speeds but it's like 100 symmetrical we weren't even near that at at one point i mean if you were just north of 25 3 at the time that was like incredible and so um if you go back to that the that's also during the hotspot times when it was just like digital the digital inclusion interventions were largely you get someone a computer and get someone a hotspot and direct them to a class you were fully digitally included the goal wasn't to have a great experience online. It was no. to make sure that you could do the minimum that you needed to do. That's correct. And so then Digital C says, well, no, what happens if we said, let's go double the standard? It's 25, let's go 50. Let's see what that gets us. And at that time, we were using the CBRS uh, spectrum to really, one, we could get as, as many users on it because we still don't pay for our spectrum. We're still on licensed spectrum. Um, and so with that unlicensed spectrum, we were allowed to get or we were able to get um, a significant amount of users. When I say significant, you know, again, in 2019, we connect our first customer. And then through the pandemic, we crossed over 1,000. And now we're north of 2,000. And last month, we connected over 200 households um, just last month. And that's off of a limited scale and deployment. Our initial network got up to, uh, it passed 23,500 homes. Now, what we started noticing, though, and this is an interesting, I would say, opportunity to see the cross or the intersection between a business and a digital inclusion organization. And I'm very intentional with those words that I just used. When I'm looking at a digital inclusion organization, I would say that was what Digital C was in the past. 
and that was necessary. Digital C deployed the services in the hardest to reach neighborhoods where the, the under connectivity was the highest, the percentage of people being underbanked was the highest, all those um, alarming population indicators were essentially the methodology that Digital C used to justify building networks. But the issue with that is trying to build a sustainable model off of it within those neighborhoods, it's difficult when those same people are living lives that are, in many cases, on the fringes of a, a number of, 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 of things. And so as a result of that, Digital C kept getting customers and kept losing customers because trying to serve a very transient population was mm-hmm. difficult. Churn. And the, the, the transients um, and even just the limitations of the network at the time, coupled with people not knowing us, and then throw the pandemic in the mix, that made it really, really difficult. And so from a business standpoint, it didn't make too much sense. But from a digital equity standpoint, it made all the sense in the world. Yeah. And well, trying to get to that middle has been a unique challenge. This is where, you know, from my perspective, watching on the outside in, I was confused as to how Digital C was going to make this work. Because, you know, I started working in 2007 in this field, mm-hmm. right around the time that people recognized Wi-Fi could not provide a high quality connection inside the home. And for years, I've been telling people, we don't know how to solve the problem of single family homes, getting them high quality internet access, because we there was no good wireless solution in most cases that was affordable, that we could actually make it work. And so, you know, companies like Starry were like, we're doing it, we're doing this, we're gonna do this high quality work, and then they went bankrupt, right? That's and right. I was like, okay. And we saw a number of companies, I feel like, over the years, and what we found is that that wireless solution can work really well with apartment buildings, rooftop yep. to rooftop, it could be amazing. That's right. But nobody was really making it work on a, on a single family home and digital C was like, we're going to do it. And I yep. was like, good luck, yep. but I don't understand yep. how. <laughs> well, and, and I'll be honest, we're, we're still learning elements of that. Um, you know, the, the, the multi dwelling units and the apartment buildings, that, those make all the sense in the world, even from a customer acquisition cost. I mean, if you have a captive audience in an apartment building, that's going to lower your customer ac- acquisition costs astronomically. So as a business, you're like, Oh no, we love <laughs> the multi dwelling units. Those single family households, those again get tricky, especially in those those rent, the the renter markets. Any any renter market is going to be more challenging because it's like you're hitting a moving target. Mm-hmm. That we are now using labor to then deploy an affordable service. Our service is eighteen dollars a month. Most of those other providers, even the Starries, they were offering affordable services because that's that's their mission. But at what point do you look at the transients that says, all right, I'm going to keep dispatching this workforce, connect the same customer, and I'm getting $18 back right. a month. At some point, the sustainability gets called into question. And then optically, people will then almost degrade your technical solution because, well, there's not many subscribers on it, so it must not be valuable, right? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. And this is a point that I did make at the uh, city council table in Cleveland. Uh, people want to watch those. Those are on YouTube. You do not have to watch the June one. <laughs> if you, you want to? Is that you, a painful one? Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to, you can, but you don't have to. But um, at the table, I made a point. I think this might have been uh, during the September hearing, where I said, "Okay, when I went out door knocking with our team to let them know when we expanded our service to one of our neighborhoods, I said to them, okay." The first house I knocked on was in foreclosure. The second house I knocked on was in foreclosure. The third one was in foreclosure. Do these people deserve to be connected? Now, if we do connect them and then two months from now they leave or whatever happens, 
is that an indictment on our service? And so now are we being penalized based on the market conditions in Cleveland? That is a very unfair position to be in as mm-hmm. a company. And that's, again, this other side of the digital divide that when you when you start talking about the reality of the situation, you're going to have a lot of providers who are going to have a very similar story, which is like, look, we're doing everything we can. But from a business standpoint, even I'm, I'm the nonprofit saying this, at what point can we begin tapping into aid-based reality? <laughs> Where aid-based reality says, I understand that these homes are on foreclosure. I understand that these people are behind on every single bill. So why would they be current with you? But the question still goes back to, do they deserve to be connected? Mm-hmm. And that is a fundamental question that we have perpetually said yes to at Digital C. The other people have said no to. And I'm not saying I can. I, I fully agree to them saying no. But from a business standpoint, I absolutely understand now. And I didn't understand that before. What's kind of interesting is uh, there's a wonderful book, How the Other Half Banks, mm. by Marissa Baradaran. And it talks about the history of banking. And one of the things that really struck me that I always remember is how um, a lot of like uh, different structures, for instance, credit unions, they start off focusing on the people that have been unbanked, right? The people who have been left behind. And they work with them. And over time, they're, they're getting a little bit more successful. I'm like, you know what? That's a really hard population to work with. <laughs> We're going to start focusing our services more on middle-income families and this and that. And they all just move away from it because it's so yep. hard. So what you're describing, I mean, like, the, this is your job. And, and that's how, and that's like the sort of thing that like you're then, and we run into this with municipal broadband, people are like, well, your metrics don't look like a big company. And it's like, well, yeah, because we're doing something different. That's right. Like if we wanted to, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll cherry pick the all the homeowners. We'll, we'll do that. But then we do not have the ability to say to ourselves and to even on this podcast that what we're doing is digital equity. No, what we're doing is we're running a business. <laughs> and so again- us being a technology social enterprise, we have an enterprise-grade product, but the social comes first. The people comes first. And so as long as that is the, the true north here, the people, no matter the conditions of the people, we have an obligation of serving them. And that does not line up nicely on a spreadsheet, no matter how much we'd mm-hmm. like it to. It does not line up the way you'd want it to. <laughs> so, so then you recognize then you're going to need support, and you've lined that up. And let's talk about that the demo than the pilot that you did. Yeah. So what did you do with the pilot and what were the goals of the pilot? Yeah. So let me set the stage quick. So, yeah. so at this point there is $20 million in play and is that right? And no, you're well, trying to make sure that you are eligible and likely fair. to receive yep, it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the city of Cleveland had issued a $20 million RFP to deploying a citywide network and everybody bid. Everybody. If you're going to say, did they bid? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everybody that you can think of bid on that thing. And the fact that, you know, our our little tugboat of an operation, our small but mighty tugboat was able to beat out all these other big, large companies who, again, there's not a single large company with a footprint in Northeast Ohio that was okay or happy that they didn't get a $20 million contract. Mm-hmm. No one's going to be happy with that. And so the fact that we got that, you know, again, kudos to our incredible team. But along the way, it absolutely was not easy at all. There was a lot of things where they were using, again, that business lens to discredit Digital C and not using that nonprofit digital equity lens that was more congruent with who we were. Uh, it's almost like the the athlete <laughs> who was maybe the swimmer 
and they're saying, well, you didn't score any goals in water polo, so you don't know how to play. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm familiar with water. I absolutely am. <laughs> I just – different sports. But regardless, um, you know, we we finally got enough feedback from city council, and they said, look, in order for us to really believe that you all can, one, hit your speeds, because they didn't think we could hit, hit our speeds. They were saying – I had my doubts. <laughs> <laughs> when well, they were saying that our speeds were slow – which again, I go back to no, no, no. You have pandemic eyes. Mm-hmm. Like twenty five three at one point, that was the standard for high speed internet. So the fact that we were delivering fifty fifty over five, like again, that was that was that was a good service, especially for eighteen dollars. Like that that's to, today, that's still a good service. But regardless, um, we had to let them know that we could deploy one hundred over one hundred. Now here's the thing. We could do that in the MDUs because we could use the existing cabling infrastructure that was already going there. So, yeah, we could do that. But uh, no, 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 no. We want to see you do it in a neighborhood. And so, thankfully, our, our good buddies, um, Tirana, and this was a decision led by our um, chief operating officer, Jose Valdez, who is phenomenal. And I would always brag about Jose. He's, he's I, one of the greatest minds I've ever worked with. Um, you know, he was like, there's a way that we can get this 100-100, but it's going to cost us. <laughs> we're like, oh my gosh! Of course it will. <laughs> and um, Tarana was able to one train our team, and we were able to, to deploy in Glenville. And Glenville and Cleveland is one of our historic neighborhoods. But in addition to that, it has the highest coverage of trees, like per capita. Like the tree canopy in, in Glenville is insane. I mean, those those trees are huge. Trees eat wireless. <laughs> yes, they do. Well, historically they have. However, thanks to our partnership with Tarana. We've been able to not only deploy this, even with non-line of sight, near line of sight, and line of sight, we've never dipped below 100-100. In fact, we've been able to get over 500 down. Now, we're not, I mean, we, in the beginning, we just let people have it because we're like, okay, we just want to show you all what happens when we don't, you know, cap this speed at 100-100. And we had residents knocking on their neighbor's door saying, you all got to get on this. You all need to get on this. And I would never work with this provider again, the X provider again. And that was a one a great thing, which then led to us bringing council members on that tour and saying, okay, council, fine. You don't have to hear us talk about 100-100. Hear from the residents directly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a council member who took a speed test on the outside of the home. And we're like, well, I'm not getting 100-100 now. And again, it's like, well, yeah, well, the network isn't designed to be a outdoor Wi-Fi network. It's a home. But it's like that then still led me to the conclusion that even when we do this, there's still going to be this perpetual opposition because it's it's this notion that until we actually prove ourselves at scale, we're always be working against that. So even with us getting the contract from the city, we still have opposition that to work through. But now that's the business environment. And so once again, it's like it's digital equity when it comes to the people. But like any grass tops, any type of broader whatever, then it's business. Mm -hmm. And getting that cadence and timing right has been like challenging, but in the best way possible, because it's it's akin to code switching where it's like I'm having this conversation. Boom, business. Nope. Back to nonprofit. Boom, business. And it's like you can't cross them. I cannot go to a grassroots community meeting talking about business. That's my nonprofit again. But the minute there's a grasshops individual, then it's business again. And getting that cadence right was essentially all of our exercise last year. And that's what the pilot really materialized in, taking the best in business infrastructure, 
but overlaying it in this still digital equity way because we went into an area that again had all of those really challenging population indicators that would even still alter our take rate, which it still does to this day. I don't know how many ISPs use Tirana and offer services for less than seventy dollars a month. Yeah, I mean, the thing that <laughs> thing that you hear about Tirana is that it's really great. It works in a lot of different situations. Yep, uh, but that it is spendy. Yes, and uh, and you know it, it makes sense that that might be the case. That's right. <laughs> uh, but at, you know, at, with eighteen or nineteen, I always get confused. You said it twice, and I didn't. Eighteen dollars. Eighteen dollars a month. Yep. So even with you know significant capital, uh, you know, grants. Um, is that something you can keep going? Yes, we hope. <laughs> no, yeah, no, yes. And and here's why. So to your point, yeah, eighteen dollars, even at the let's just say a customer acquisition cost of six hundred dollars. Um, that's that's high. It's really mm-hmm. high. And eighteen dollars, you're like, well, where do you all even break even? Was it five years <laughs> every year? And that's the assumption that someone stays in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the, the 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 value of what we're doing though. We signed up within this RFP to connect 23,500 households. So all of the money that we have right now, all the capital expenditures, once that's built out, well, then our operational costs lessen significantly because it's like, well, now we're not obviously prioritizing building a network while simultaneously trying to sign people up, while simultaneously trying to do this. It's like, no. Us being able to eliminate the biggest capital expenditure expense, which is building the infrastructure and network, that allows us over time to model sustainability. Now, in order for us to model sustainability, just off of our internet alone, that doesn't talk about all the other stuff that DigitalC does, but just off our internet, we will need north of 30,000 customers, which is absolutely possible for us to do. The beauty about Tirana's equipment is the coverage and radius, especially as we have, as we have towers in the periphery of Cleveland, we are going to be able to hit the surrounding suburbs too. We know that. And so as a result of that, we will be able to do specialized rates in those other markets. We're not held 18 everywhere. Mm-hmm. We're held 18 in Cleveland. <laughs> and so there and is not a- only that, but um, if you have a, a household that is doing well in Cleveland that can get your service, are you able to charge them more or are you obligated to do $18? So we can charge them more for a different tier. and it, So we can tier. And so the $18 corresponds to the 100-100 price point. Now, that's the service that we agreed to sign people up with the city of Cleveland. So we're committed to that $18, 100 That's our premier. However, again, this thing can go north of 500 And so if we're doing that, like, yeah, there's a really unique opportunity there. And there's also been significant demand from our business community who said, you know, we want and we deserve an affordable Internet solution as well, which we said, yeah, the city didn't put out an RP for that. <laughs> but however, you know, point heard, message heard. We absolutely do agree that um, there's needs that exist outside of residential. And at some point, you know, we would like to grow to meet those needs, too. And so I think that there is a unique pathway of growth for us that's still born out of the same mission of digital equity. But it can be sustainable digital equity that allows us to think smarter with the assets that we have and leaving enough room for us to grow to be that legitimate premier Internet provider we just did it in the inverse. We didn't make our money, then say, okay, now that we made our money, let's do this low-cost program. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. We started with the low-cost program, and we're committed to that being the center. But then over time, if someone's like, hey, I just need a bit more. It's interesting when the single-person household is just one person in there, thinks that they need the 300 to 400 megs, 
which is really interesting to me because I'm like, no, you don't. But oh, I they do. <laughs> oh man, I'm like, this is it's the most interesting thing that I'm hearing even locally in Cleveland. Uh, people reach out and say, I would take it, but you know, I need more than 100. I'm like, no, you don't. But okay, allegedly you do because you've been fed this more, more, more great consumerism marketing from the other folks that every year they want to upgrade you because you deserve faster. When it's like bandwidth doesn't always correlate with speed, but the, the one of the, the greatest points I'm, I'm I'm going to make here is like I can understand why these other telecom companies are how they've been able to make so much money off of continuously marketing increasing <laughs> costs when in reality they're taking advantage of the lack of knowledge people have about the telecommunication industry right and that is a phenomenal thing to do <laughs> right so I so if I'm on a gigabit and my neighbor's on 100 megabit yeah it costs the company the basically the same amount of money yeah I'm just giving the company more money yeah exactly and it's like you're not even you're not even getting the gig consistently <laughs> but well, I mean that depends on who you're getting it from but but, 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 it, but it's like <laughs> right, right and it's like we know this mm-hmm. but it's like people are able to take advantage of that and so there's there's some it's interesting now that we're we're doing this because we're seeing the marketing stuff I mean we we We'll look at, I mean, these are obviously content companies that we're, we're competing against. And because of that, they do content really well, or so we think. And as a result of that, we're now cross-examining every single little piece. And we're like, ah, uh, uh, mm, that fine print doesn't really, hmm. And it, it's just really revealing, especially when we're engaging with people. When it's like, guys, our service is literally $18. Our ping is anywhere between 10 and 20 that's phenomenal for gaming. That's like that's like ideal. But it's like we're 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 doing this. We have this great product, this great service, but yet this more and more and more consumerism has really crept in and now people are looking at even our 100 100 service as if that's not enough. Mm-hmm. And that is wild to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like there's like I would say like for the vast majority of things that I do in my house, 100 100 solidly delivered reliable service um, meets the need, right? Like it's a latency that you want, which that's is, right. means that like if I'm loading a web page, I want it to load quick. That's and that right. has more to do with things other than the bandwidth necessarily. Yeah. That said, like there's definitely times where I'm just like downloading or uploading something and I'm like, man, I'm at the max and like it's a big big file and mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, like what I'm more interested in talking to you about I think is then so so $20 million, like, is this a situation? And I think there's even more coming from the state, right? You have another opportunity. So, 10, 10 from the state. So you have another 10. So $30 million coming your way. Mm-hmm. So how are things looking for you and your goal of making sure that, like, you know, uh, throughout Cleveland, I don't know the neighborhoods, but, like, presumably um, you have you have 25,000-ish homes you have to hit? Well, so 23,500 have to subscribe, however – we agreed that we would build the network out citywide in 18 months. Okay. So everybody in Cleveland will be able to subscribe, but we have to have 23,500 subscribing households minimum to satisfy the requirement. Are you building out fiber then at the same time then to support those towers? No. The good thing is we've been able to just partner with existing commercial fiber providers. Mm-hmm. So you know we still have our relationship with Everstream, and so we a lot of our backhaul does rely on Everstream's connections. But also, we've been really great at building a relationship with Crown Castle, and they they've delivered every single time. I would argue that a lot of our tire a lot of our towers go through Crown Castle, and then American Tower is the other one too. So thankfully, like the the, the fiber's already there, and this is the thing that I would say to anyone who is kind of on the fence, like if you don't have citywide. A citywide fiber optic plan where you guys are going to be deploying fiber citywide. 
a lot of these commercial providers already have fiber in these markets do. This is more so an opportunity to partner with them. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, these partners are really proactive with supporting wireless internet service providers. And so that has made it so we're not talking about a five to 10 year fiber build out plan. We're talking months instead of years. And so as a result of that, that now has led to a significantly faster deployment timeline, lesser labor costs, while at the same time, a more aggressive ability for us to scale even beyond Cleveland's borders even faster because we're taking advantage of the existing commercial fiber assets that are throughout Cleveland. All right. So I'm not saying that I have any hate listeners, right? Yep. But there's some people who are listening who I'm sure are like, Chris, last time you had this guy on, he was fiber, 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 I fiber, still fiber, am. Fiber, fiber, fiber. I am. I love fiber. <laughs> I, I'm, I look, look, I, I'm, I'm still with that. I, you know, I, I, I look at fiber. I see the potential of fiber even beyond fixed wireless potential. I see that even from a city perspective. I mean, the, the use cases, I mean, the, yeah, no, I, I get it. I think that what we're seeing, though, at the same time, if you're going to be a city, and you're going to be talking about your digital divide, and that you got this essentially as a digital emergency, then what you're going to do in emergencies, you're going to prioritize the things that Fix Wireless offers over mm-hmm. fiber. 18 months. <laughs> yeah, 18 I mean, months. That's awesome. We're talking about, I mean, again, we're talking about months, and this isn't 18 months for everybody. Right. Uh, you know, we have people connected now. Uh, by the end of this month, we should have north of 30,000 from our new network that we're just building now. So, again, like, when we want to talk about homes past, you want to talk about progress over time. Like, yeah, fixed wireless absolutely is going to give you the stuff that you need, especially with what Toronto can do 100%. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, fixed wireless is superior to fiber uh, cumulatively. I think that there are arguments that can be made in your respective city that would then justify your inv- your involvement and in whatever, but our investment and whatever. I can see why Cleveland did this one. And I can also see why when I was in Detroit, specifically using the Hope Village example where they had that 45-day internet outage where the infrastructure was unstable, why fiber made sense there too. And so, again, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, no, no, just because I'm here, I change hats. Like, no, no. Mm-hmm. It, underneath this shirt, it's still, you know, fiber, fiber. We love fiber. And I still so, do. <laughs> so, you're, you're in, in, you know, with your business hat on then, I have to ask about open access then. Yeah. Is, there, is there a future there where you, like, how do you, how does that work into things? Oh, yeah. No, we, again, I love open access as well. I love it. I love it. I will stand, stand behind that. Everything that I've ever said about it, I still agree with. Um, you know, open access provides the best way for competition to persist in an ecosystem. I don't care what anyone says. It is the best way for competition. I've heard people say, well, it's a race to the bottom for the consumer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> if, we had, if we had another 10 minutes on the show, which I don't want to spend too much time. I would, I, I would think that there's a very good conversations around that. But I agree with you that like, it is not a horror show for everyone no. in a race for the bottom necessarily. The, 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 the consumer benefits. And I, I, we've, had, we've had decades of experience with open access, and it's not inevitably a race to the bottom. It's so like, I think the, the, the point is for us as a – and to be, to be clear – we also do rely on fiber and where there's fiber that's even going to some of our multi-dwelling units, like we will ride that fiber to provide our services too. So it's like, yes, we're fixed wireless. We're also fiber too. We're a hybrid company. So we believe in both. Um, but when it comes to open access, that's just another point where if there's an open access network that's willing to play ball with Digital C and that wants an affordable internet operator on their network you know we would love to consider that that opportunity because for us that's just an opportunity for us to scale 
any and all opportunities for a digital C to be able to grow and scale, and not only the technologies that we use, but the markets where we're able to exist, that's great for us and it's great for the consumer. Our price point at $18, we're committed to that in Cleveland for a decade. <laughs> a decade. Mm-hmm. That's in the contract. Let's hope those interest rates stay down. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the good thing is, well, I'm not sure if it's good at this point, but we could adjust for inflation after five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's, congrats, it's, it's $2. But it'll be $20. But like, it, regardless, 10, 10 years is what we agreed to. Mm-hmm. So we're committed to this. It can't be a thing that every six to months to a year, oh, well, we got to change the price again. Like, no, we're not doing that. What that then does is it puts pressure on every other provider in Cleveland because now everyone knows, well, now we got this affordability cloud over here hanging. We can't really nickel and dime these people like we thought. Mm-hmm. And if we did, we now run the risk of them stealing the market share. So now these these providers are going to have to think twice, which the days of the wild, wild west are kind of coming to an end. Um, this is what maybe civilization You're could look like. You're the sheriff. You just came <laughs> <Yeah>. into town. <laughs> uh, so are you still doing digital equity in terms of uh, trainings and devices and things like that? Digital C still doing all that? Yep, yep. That's exactly right. That's, that was part of the contract as well. So with all the funding that we received, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Mandel Myers Foundations. They were supporters of ours uh, from the very beginning, even before all the other committed money. So they supported us with $20 million as well. So there's been a lot of funding that's been allocated to Digital C, not only on the infrastructure side, but on the broader digital equity side. I mean, we do our own in-house, but we also contract with our our community development corporations, um, as well as you know the, our 501c3s. We've been doing the digital literacy and skilling work since even prior to Digital C's existence. And so, thankfully, you know, I have to give a big shout out to the folks at ASC3, Wanda Davis. Uh, she's you know a digital equity legend. Uh, even nationally, and you know, we work directly with her as well. And you know, the the classes are great. And now that we have not only Cleveland Public Library and the school district on our board, I know Shelby's going to like me saying that. Um, <laughs> that that leads to us not only being able to get the awareness that we need, but also just the basic, broader digital skilling curriculum support from those two entities as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a path then in which you? Um you have the $30 million coming in, 10, 20 from the city, 10 from the state. And, and also, we didn't get into all the politics, but there's a lot of politics around that. People want to check that out. Maybe we'll cover that in a future show. <laughs> well, that, we also have our panel today on that. so uh. <laughs> Right. Yeah, how to do this. And, but I'm curious, what is the path then for you to not be worried about grant funding in the future? Is there a path to, to some generating enough revenue to cover all the operations, do the digital equity stuff, all that? Yeah, well, that's, that's the goal. But I, I would argue, so... Maybe it's best to look at Digital C as maybe separate companies. So on the internet side, yeah, that's going to be something where we want that and we envision that performing as a business, that we're going to scale as a business. We don't really require or need uh, the philanthropic funding, though we will never turn it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We're still a 501c3. However, on the actual adoption side, you know, there's no cost to that to the consumer because the people who need the services the most can't pay anything to get it. At least uh, nothing that's going to justify the the cost internally for us from a business standpoint. And so on that side, I do believe that that one is going to require some type of perpetual fundraising or perpetual funding source to support the digital equity activities separate from, again, the network business activities. That one should be able to stand on its own because we're standing behind that product and it's truly enterprise grade and we do have a scaled solution for that. In five years, we're hanging out at Cedar Point. 
Uh, we're gonna be um, hanging out before five years at Cedar Point. That's no, be so next year on our fourth trip to Cedar Point. Yeah, um, <laughs> are there gonna be other cities doing this? Are we gonna see like other nonprofits and other major metros following this model? They will. Uh, they will definitively. I can say that they will. Uh, what Digital C is going to do, and let's look at just the the broader backdrop here. Just last week, we announced the ACP freeze. The ACP freeze hurts which areas per capita the most in this country, the cities. And so it's like, if we know that, then what is the long-term solution? See, as long as you always have an ACP, it doesn't really force you to get into that old quote that my dad used to always say, which is, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, where's the necessity if I have this subsidy I can always point to? So when the subsidy's gone or when it's frozen, these people are essentially frozen out of this. Well, now what's what, what is the thing that we're inventing? What does it make us see now that this is gone? Oh, God, we got to figure it out. We got to go deeper. We need to go further. And what is deeper and what is further from affordability, it will be affordable infrastructure that then is built from a public company's lens, not from a you know publicly traded one, but one that's operating in the public's interest versus the interest of shareholders. At that point, someone's going to sit there and say, yeah, we need to then think about it this way. And so as a result, I would argue you will see more examples of these citywide fixed wireless buildouts that, again, are, are more cost efficient to deliver faster to deliver and have now insanely competitive speeds that don't require you know high costs to pay off the infrastructure thank you so much for your time today joshua thank you for having me again we have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at communitynets.org slash broadband bits email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show follow chris on twitter his handle is at community nets Follow communitynets.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at Muni Networks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons.